Gladys and Potties, do you remember the yearbook of your school? I mean, the book you get, like uh, the magazine you get before you're leaving school at the at your A-levels or high school or the German Abitur. Now, I remember that in 1997, when we had our final big event at school, Abibal, it is called in Germany, it's, uh, you know, like a huge, huge festivity, basically marking the end of your school. Um, we had this yearbook as well, and the question every was uh, the question posed about every pupil in our in our class was, "What are we doing ten years from now?" So that was basically ten years from nineteen ninety seven, and in my case, my pupil, my my classmates uh, wrote with tongue in cheek, um, "You know, in ten years, he's going to be Chancellor of Germany." So why am I telling you this? Not because I want to be Chancellor of Germany, but because um, that showed you that I had become pretty much well known for being extremely interested in politics. Now, I had no idea at the time, obviously, that my identity would one day shift from my German identity already with an international outlook to what I would really call a citizen of the world. You know, that, that was just 14 months away. So the years from 1992 to 1997, I grew into a young man and um, at school, even during my Abitur years, my interest in politics and history continued. I remember particularly, I have to tell you this because that, that's something which I, I still remember or have fond memories of, these Sunday afternoons. You know, there was a... Um, a German television station, which still exists today, I think it has lost a lot of its appeal. It's sort of not have, sort of was much better in the 1990s. But anyway, uh, it's called Phoenix, and it's a documentary channel that started in the mid 90s. And they had this really interesting program every Sunday afternoon, historical debates in the German parliament. Now you can imagine a political junkie like me, I started watching it. And I was introduced to the really big debates in German history, life and in color. Um, so I got to know all the mighty or orators in, in the German parliament from Helmut Schmidt, Franz Josef Strauss, Rainer Barze, Herbert Wehner, uh, Mischnig, uh, Genscher, and all that sort of stuff. And I even remember sort of revisiting the big debates between Schäuble and Lafontaine in 1990, you know, when um, prior to German reunification. And that was very interesting for me because they were both consummate politicians with a great intellect and they had very different visions to offer of Germany. So they had fantastic debates in Parliament. Obviously, instinctively, I felt already much closer to La Fontaine. I wasn't afraid of him anymore as I was as a child in 1990. <laughs> um, so that was great. But also the, the really big debates in the 70s and 80s. You know, remember Strauss once uh, uh, saying that, you know, if you believe the if you believe electricity comes out of the socket and not out of a power plant, you should vote for the government of social democrats and free democrats. 
fantastic fantastic i loved it especially if you have had growing up in a dictatorship until you were 11 or 12 absolutely stunning stuff very enjoyable indeed so in 1997 um i uh shortly before finishing school it was may we were doing our exams for the abitur and i had with my english teacher you know i still didn't didn't really master english and you know she was but we got on i was very similar uh, to my math teacher i was very very useless in mathematics i didn't like it i didn't care for it you know it was just all basically stuff i didn't want to do and i remember her my my maths teacher she was a really kind woman and she was a member of the green party and she sat in the uh, city council for the party and you know sometimes we talked about politics and then when uh, she you know gave us a sort of uh, math problem to work on i was sitting in front of her and she was saying to me, well, Jörg, you don't even need to bother. You don't get it anyways. So let's just talk about politics. And then she started, you know, getting into a rage about the mayor of the city and all the stuff he's doing and the most recent fights she had picked with him. And oh, was really nice. So my English teacher as well, we had a little sort of um, agreement. Now, she knew I was very interested in politics. She always tried to get me to... You know, to she she always wanted me to uh, embrace the English language by giving me political topics to work on. I'm still surprised that it didn't work because she was a fantastic teacher. I mean, she was really good. It was all me. I just really didn't want to. Um, uh, it took me too long, and you know, I just, oh, just wasn't keen on that. Um, but I remember we had this time. We talked about politics pretty often, and um, we both hoped desperately that in 1997 the Tories were finally kicked out by by the Labour Party and um, she said well you know what um, if Tony Blair wins which was pretty much a given <laughs> she said we're gonna have a meeting one-on-one -on -one. we're gonna go into town and eat ice cream together and have some coffee before you guys you know do your obitur and stuff we can have a little talk about you and the future and all that sort of stuff you know is what good teachers do and um, so Blair won, obviously, and we went out into town and we had this lovely conversation this one afternoon. And I, I remember her saying to me, you know, you know, why don't you embrace the English language? It would open so many doors for you and you may have a great future. She said, you could go on doing amazing things. And I was like, well, languages, it's just not my cup of tea. It's never going to happen. You know, it's, um, I can't do it. I really believed it. That's the thing about school. If you are bad in, in a subject, you believe you can't do it for the rest of your life. Now, I had no idea that I was just 14 months away from doing exactly what, what she told me to do. You know, and I would not just embrace the English language, it would become the, the cornerstone of my cosmopolitan identity now true i wouldn't necessarily as you can tell call it a native language it's never going to be my native language but i think you know it's more than a second language to me i mean my media diet my sort of you know the stuff i'm reading it's still largely all in english um and um obviously i don't get a lot of practice in terms of talking but um that's something that comes back very quickly anyways in 1997 we're still very far away from that. So we had this conversation and then came, of course, the 18th of June, 
Now, let me just tell you one thing as well. You may ask yourself the question, well, if this guy is so interested in politics and always has been, why didn't he get involved in political parties? Well, the answer is very simple. I tried. Uh, I tried for the first time in my city, Königswusterhausen, shortly before I did my Abitur. I went to a small grouping of the Young Social Democratic Organization, the USUS, did the same later on in Dresden, and then obviously in the UK, got involved in student politics as well. Now, it's a complicated story, and I will come back to that in the next episode. Um, and don't get me wrong, I think party politics is essential in a parliamentary democracy, and for all its faults and weaknesses, and, you know, all its sort of, um, you know, uh, inabilities to really shape society in a more equitable manner. I think that um, parties are important and politics is important. So my criticism is not of the political class as such. But in my experience, maybe I met the wrong people, particularly in Germany, um, Königswusterhausen, but then in Dresden as well. I, I wasn't really, I mean, for me, I have, I've always been pretty independent in my, th in my thinking. And I'm not a good party political uh, foot soldier. I never will be. And I think my only way into politics would be coming in as a, from the outside, having done something else um, in life. Um, and I recognize, particularly the, at my university in Dresden, that I would have to sacrifice an awful lot uh, if I really wanted to uh, climb the greasy pole in a political party and then, you know, work uh, my way up. Some people do it. Think of the current leader of the Social Democrats. I mean, I listened to her talking on German public radio when I was bloody 17 or 18 years old. I mean, she's probably done nothing else in life than politics. Now, that's a, you know, and that's not a criticism. That's what you have to do. Um, that's just not a price I'm prepared to pay. And even at the time, I wasn't prepared to pay that price. And especially in, in, in Dresden. And, you know, this may change the higher you get within the hierarchy of a political party. But the people I met, the, the young social democrats, they just never appealed to me. I mean, first of all, a lot of them, forgive me for saying so, they weren't very bright. I mean, they just bored me to death. Um, I, I just really, I didn't like them. You know, it's as simple as that. A lot of them were simply inflated egos, and I had the feeling they didn't know anything else than... And they weren't even good at politics. They had no idea about real politics. You know, they were just sort of, you know, they were, for me, they almost appeared like children to me sometimes, you know, playing in the, in the uh, you know, uh, building a castle of sand or something. Um, maybe it's a bit unfair and a bit sort of colored in hindsight, but I really, I felt bored. And the third thing, and that's which put me off even more, um, in Germany, but even in the UK, where my prospects in politics, I think, would have been much better. And that was the tribalism in these organizations. Now, I maybe it has something to do with my upbringing. Maybe it, it's just human nature. Maybe that's just the way I am. I haven't got a clue, but I never, you know, I never shared that tribalism. Even in things I believe, I, I never believe in, in, the, in anything negative about my, my political opponents. I remember 
you know, it was pretty much common standard to refer to your political opponents really in this youth organizations. We hate the Tories. We hate the Christian Democrats. And well, honestly, that was never my cup of tea. I mean, I had, I had seen television debates on various issues, you know, in, in, in German history. And they were all good debaters. I don't share their view of the world, you know, but they were all capable politicians and capable individuals. And I just didn't like the way these organizations behaved. For me, they were like sects. Now, I think if I really had put more time to it, I would not have gone traveling. I would not have studied that much. I would have just stayed in Dresden and maybe done a pretty ordinary degree. And that would be the end of the matter. Maybe today I would be in politics, but I wouldn't be the person I am. You know, I wouldn't be a cosmopolitan citizen of the world. I would be probably a good party foot soldier. I would probably, maybe I would sit in some sort of parliament somewhere, but I would have given up so much. And that was just not a price I was prepared to pay. So my interest shifted pretty quickly from party politics to journalism, international journalism and academics. Um, that's today my current take on things, I'm much more analytical. I don't think I'm a good politician. Um, I think I'm not good in frontline day-to-day -day politics. My strength, I think, is much more in the analytical realm. Now, that needed time to materialize, obviously. So on the 18th of June, I left my school at 11.58 in the morning. Uh, sitting in my father's car, crying, fighting, trying to fight back tears because, of course, I knew, you know, time had to end and there was no more scope for personal growth and development I had done there was to do at school. But remember, I was there for 14 years. Now, that's an awfully long time. That's all I had known at the time. And, well the world was about to change drastically, especially if you go to university. And I went to Dresden. That was my first point of call. Um, let me, before I finish off, we're going to wrap up this episode uh, because I'm going to split it into two, but hold on for a second. Um, now, Dresden was an interesting place in the sense that I was obviously a lot about exploring. But I also realized that my disability would at last become a problem in many regards. Um, I was out of that boarding school. And prior to the end of my boarding school days, we had people coming in from the German authorities, from the German job center. And they talked to us blind people and told us basically, well, I, I remember telling this woman, you know, I want to study politics. And she said, well, you can't study politics because with politics, you never find a job. So I said, well, you know, what do you think I should study? And she said, well, maybe, you know, I don't know, computer science or uh, economy or something like that. So shy and stupid and naive as I was with 19 I heeded her advice and said, oh, yeah, you know, I'm going to study this economy computer science thing. 
in Dresden, which was a ludicrous choice because I remember coming out of this meeting and, and the, my classmates asked me, so what, what are you going to do? And I said, well, you know, I'm probably going to study computer science and, and economy. And they said to me, what? Are you crazy? Your heart is in politics. You must do something with politics or history or something like that. And I was like, you know, this woman, she told me basically there's no way you find a proper job and you should do And then they said, well, you're absolutely not capable of doing maths. And they were right. And I said, yeah, I know, but maybe somehow it's going to work. Now, of course, it didn't work. <laughs> I was in that course for two months. And it was the last time I ever heeded the advice of German authorities when they tried to tell me how to live my life. Um, because it never works out well. Um, there was another thing um, I need to mention, and that is the university in Dresden had a computer science department, and there was this one guy who prided himself on providing uh, assistance for blind and visually impaired students. So he would scan materials, he would make things accessible and all that stuff. And obviously got a lot of fame and publicity out of that. And, you know, was invited to our school and stuff. And the problem with him was that, which I didn't know at the time. Now he sold us that uh, project he was running at the computer science department uh, as something that was accepted throughout the university, no matter what department you joined. And that was a lie, basically. So when I came to that university, picking, uh, taking up my economic computer science department, my faculty was economic, uh, the economy department, economics department. And they said, well, I'm sorry, but you are talking about the computer science division. You're not talking about our department. We can't help you. There you go. And that was pretty much it. So you got from the um, student from the social security office in Germany, you could apply for uh, money to, you know, finance student assistance. Uh, but it was all very hazardous. And the climate at German universities, at least in Dresden, was not, I wouldn't say, very positive toward disabled students. Now, that cannot be said about the students. Let me make a clear distinction here. Uh, the students were great. All students I met in Dresden. I had many friends. I felt very, very integrated into the student body. That was not the problem. The problem was the bureaucracy. By the way, it would get even worse in Heidelberg a few years later. I always thought Dresden is as bad as it gets. Well, not really. Heidelberg was much worse. But again, I'm talking not about the ordinary student on the campus. I'm not even talking necessarily about all the tutors and professors at the departments. These were structural problems. Um, so that was something that I found very disheartening. And I recognized at that stage, disability becomes a problem. Um, that's, so for the first time, my disability, disability started not just to put uh, barriers in my way and, you know, it sort of became a part of my identity, which I never thought of that much before. Um, in 1998, I started finally a politics degree. Uh, and I felt pretty well set there. I mean, you know, 
especially student-wise, I met a lot of interesting students and stuff. For some odd reason, I felt intellectually bored um, right from the start. Um, I didn't like the professors very much. There were a few exceptions, but they were all sort of very conservative and very, I don't know, for some odd reason, I can't really nail it exactly. I just was bored at that place. It didn't, it didn't appeal to me. Um, even though the students were very nice and helpful and, you know, I had a lot of friends who supported me, by the way, they filled out application forms uh, a few years later with me together to go to London. Um, few people grew a bit jealous, but most people were really supportive and I'm thankful for them for that even today. And I remember that very, very fondly indeed. Now, as you can tell, I don't mention names in this podcast. I don't think that's necessary. Um, I've got my own reasons for not doing so, but, um, you know, that there, there was a state of affairs. And by the end of the first year, I was looking at a pretty ordinary, dismal university career. Um, now, in hindsight, I would say, would that, be, would that have been such a bad thing? In Heidelberg, some people in the bureaucracy accused me of, you know, just having left Dresden and why and stuff like that. Um, now, eventually, I didn't leave Dresden because I, I didn't know how to study. I left Dresden out of choice because it was, for me, intellectually, it was not demanding enough. It's as simple as that. And I wanted to embrace the world. Now, obviously, if you do that as a sighted student, I, as a non-disabled student, that's perfectly fine and you're right. But if you do that as a blind person or disabled student, it's obviously something else because after all, you should be thankful for having the great opportunity to study in Germany. Well, I never was and I never will be. Um, so then came the eight days in August in 1998, which changed my life. Now, dear listener, I have asked a lot of you, I admit, in that podcast. Now, you have to forgive me. I promise the next episode, when I'm going to deal with the second part of my life so far, it's going to be shorter. I, wasn't, I, I didn't think that it would get that long. I didn't know how much I would have to tell you. Um, so, sorry for drawing, on, drawing it out for such a long time. That was not by choice or design. That was just what happened whilst uh, producing that that podcast um, with very modest means, as you recall. Um, so I'm going to wrap up this episode at this very stage. Now, when I come back to you next week, I'm going to talk about the years from 1998 until 2018, 2019. That's going to be a bit more concise and a bit shorter, but I think just wanted you to understand that if I build on that podcast and my blog, why I'm so interested in politics and society. And next week, I'm going to introduce you to my new life and all that came with it. The golden years, the difficult time in Heidelberg with, you know, very, with lighter moments as well. Uh, traveling played a still a part of my life. My second time in the UK as a master's student. Um, now the magic had gone. Uh, I still got my master's degree and also I was always at British universities 
embraced as a disabled student and uh, was integrated. My disability was never really, they demanded a lot, you know, they demanded of me exactly what they would demand of any other student. That was perfectly fine. But student support was there by default. You didn't have to, you didn't become a case for the social security department on the basis of your disability. You went to university, your student support needs were sorted out professionally and you didn't have to cut through a lot of red tape and that was it. And then you could dedicate yourself to your academic career. Now I did it uh, with, well, personal growth, yes. Academic career, I think I was too young, um, but I'm gonna tell you more about that later. So next week, we're gonna look at all of this. Now the final theme song for 1998 is a song which I, a friend of mine at the University of Dresden, she was a student in my department, and she burned a CD for me, and there was this song you're gonna hear now, um, wrapping up this uh, particular episode. Um, that's the one I listened to a lot in 1998. Of course, observing the German elections, very keen on the Kamper, the social democratic war room machine, so to speak, and hoping for a change of government. And prior to August 1998, I had no idea that this would be the last German election featuring largely in my life, because four years later, I would lead a completely different life in a completely different environment. And well, dear listener, that's what we're going to talk about next week. Have a nice week, potties and gladdies. Speak to you soon.